Joe Shannon, where are we? We are at a theater center mm -hmm. in the cute part of Louisville, because there are several of them, but this, is, I think, is one of the cutest. I agree. And why are we here, Alyssa? Um, we are here to talk about uh, our experiences directing, why we chose this location where neither one of us have directed. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not sure either. Um, I think we wanted to come here mostly, and yeah. You guys don't really know the difference. It's really just like an <laughs> us thing. <laughs> right. It's so you can take in the vibe of the place. That's really yeah. the reason to go. Yeah. It's like, oh, I have memories of this location. Mm -hmm. I can use that. Mm -hmm. And I think anytime anyone is describing a cute part of Louisville, what they really mean is like, there's still green space, but I'm close to the city. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh um, so that's where we are. Figure it out. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's so funny, I, so we're coming up on almost a full year since I was really directing something. I did a lot of short plays, it's still directing, mm -hmm. with um, elementary and middle school kids in the spring of, well, spring spring semester but it was winter still right um i believe that the last one ended two weeks before quarantine started and then i was still in the middle of one that ended up being like a radio play so it feels like an eternity since i have had to put my directing hat on um and it's been significantly longer than that for me, so, yeah. you know, you've, you've at least got more recent. What was the last show you directed? Did I see it? Probably. Yeah, and no, I haven't directed since I directed Elementary Kids. Um, gotcha. And that was, I think, well, I don't know, you could call directing, I had a camp that I sort of directed. Yeah, I mean, they did um, a show. I did not see yeah, that, though. Yeah. I think I was out of town. Too. Um, was very silly and I had to play two parts and it was just a lot. I watched a video of it though yeah. on the internet. It was great. It was I feel like um, I miss that part of the theater process the most. Like the um, I don't know the excitement that comes with like casting a show and all of these possibilities. I work with a lot of folks who say that casting is their least favorite part because it's like such a jigsaw and I don't know, sad sometimes mm -hmm. when you have to like reject folks, but it's my favorite part. Um, and I think that's because I don't put a lot of like legwork into directing before casting. Um, which is probably gonna burn me one day like really hard. <laughs> but um learn the hard there's, way. There's good and bad pieces to that. You don't have any strong expectations going in and so you get to build it around the people that you like. That's what I really, really try to do, yeah. um, is to not have all of these preconceived notions of what my stuff is gonna look like before the actual human people are in place. Um because I, I do like a more collaborative process. However, as an actor, I hate that. <laughs> mm, 
yep, you wouldn't like it from the other side. That's hilarious. I would hate me as a director. <laughs> um, but I, I do. I really just miss the, like, um, I don't know, feeling of, like, possibility and like I was gonna create something and I was going to like I don't know work with people to like achieve some sort of I don't know art I guess yeah well I I think that's uh, you you've got a, a more brave process than some especially working with children because trying to ask children to collaborate can be incredibly dangerous yeah yeah it is like and and not because not because they're children because they just have less experience with the thing mm-hmm. so it's like oh this seems like a great idea at the time oh yeah well i think it reminds me that like i have adult limitations right. preconceived notions of things that i just like will not entertain <laughs> that then when the kid is like so excited and my philosophy is like show me or explain to me how that would work mm-hmm. um you know, it really does force me to think, like, am I saying no to this because I'm, like, Scrooge McDuck? Or am I <laughs> saying no to this because it legitimately is not possible? Yeah. I don't know, it's just, like, a fun exercise. And I'm not crazy. Like, I I usually have a, um, like, an end of suggestion time in my head. Like, where I will still listen to you but I've I've started locking down elements right. of the show and that's like usually around with kids because the rehearsal time is longer um it's usually about the midway mark with adults because they're typically getting off book faster and the rehearsal time is is, is a lot shorter um I'm looking at like two or three weeks of table work and talking and then I'm like I can't I can't listen to your ideas anymore because we are are in the home stretch now but with kids you have so long to just like spend I don't know three months being like no I hate that right so sad yeah no that and a good idea can happen kind of at any time in that process definitely at some point you have to decide this is the good idea we're going with and even if there's another good idea we're staying with this good idea Mm -hmm. um but yeah, the, when they get more comfortable with an idea or a, or, a, or the script or whatever, and then they're like, oh, wouldn't this be cool? Like, oh yeah, you actually do know what you're talking about at this point. You've actually read the whole script. Yes. So maybe that would work. <laughs> oh, I know I bore kids to death on read through day because I read every single word of the script on mm-hmm. read through day with kids. Um, especially younger ones like we listen to all of the stage directions even if we're not going to be doing all of the stage directions I just want them to have a sense of like the flow and what the playwright was going for Um, because you just and with adults too but they're usually better at at lying to your face Um, (laughs) (laughs) you can't expect every single kid to read the entire script it's just not going to happen um you should make that an expectation you should make it known that that's what you hope that they will do but um you know you have to go home at night believing and knowing in your soul that it's not happening (laughs) right yeah you worked with a lot directing kids who could not actually read. Yes, that's is, always very fun. Yeah, super wild to me. <laughs> 
so I'm sitting here talking about how I like have to beat middle schoolers in over the head with like you have to read this you have to read this but you literally couldn't do that you had some itty bitties so what's that process like sending a lot of emails to their moms and dads and saying hey please read this with them Mm -hmm. um I think I had a lot of uh, age variety so the the difference between a six-year-old and a ten-year-old is a lot bigger than I thought when I started Mm. teaching that age range Um, you have ten-year-olds who are already self-obsessed and basically teenagers but you also have ten-year-olds who just really want to help Mm -hmm. Um, and so getting the older kids to help the younger kids or in many different ways like hey they need help reading also they need help getting their mic changed or they need help remembering to go to the big person who's going to help them get their mic changed or they need help being dragged off the stage when it's time to leave um but that if they don't start at six then they might not start at ten like like making sure that everybody feels welcome and engaged but also making sure that the environment is conducive to everyone succeeding um so yeah at a read through we just getting the kids who can read to help the kids who can't read and going really slow. Going really slow, if necessary. Um, we also have really much shorter scripts than you did. That's true. <laughs> I'm like a 20 minute show here. Yeah, it's, you know, I've, I've worked with some elementary, but usually the cutoff for those programs is first grade, which typically means that they can read. Of course, you have some kids who for all kinds of different reasons are, um, behind their peers in in learning to read and so I don't I don't think I've ever worked with someone who just could not read but I've definitely worked with kids who are not as confident in their reading skills that is an interesting conundrum because you really have to set the expectation with the kids who can read and want to go so so fast and like get to the end of the script that we're reading for everyone's comprehension because we're a team and so just saying the word to them and telling them what to say isn't going to help they have to know it and um also I'm just like I don't know I'm a weird combination of like no nonsense but also um just like super sensitive (laughs) So anytime a kid is struggling with a word and an older kid jumps in and is like, it's exactly, I get so, like the little, I get like tingle all over my body. Like I feel um, like I'm six years old again and like some older kid is making fun of me for not knowing. The empathy is very strong. Yes. Yes. That was like the worst to me. I never wanted to look stupid and I never wanted to an older kid to like think that I didn't know something um so I feel that in my gut whenever they do it and that voice that little kids have that's like you're dumb and this is the word (laughs) yeah like oh no so getting out in front of that is really hard because you're always going to have at least one kid who isn't a bad kid, but is just like a little bit of a know-it-all. Right. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, figuring out how to tone them back and create like a compassionate environment mm-hmm. for everybody. Like you're going to do a silly thing too, and we're not going to make fun of you. Mm-hmm. So let's be nice now. 
um, while we're struggling with this particular kid's thing that they just haven't learned yet. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's something that I, I'm more tried to weed out in the auditions than other people I've watched. Oh, that's it's, interesting. Because well, for me, it's almost more interesting to pay attention to the way that the kids interact with each other than it is to watch them up on stage. Because some of them, you can you can gain just as much information either way, in my opinion. Um, watching them and how kind or not kind they are to everybody, how withdrawn they are, that can tell you something when they get up on stage and they completely lose their monologue. They were just really nervous. Not necessarily a reason to cast them or not cast them, mm -hmm. but it's information. Um, and you can sometimes tell the know-it-alls from the moment they walk in the door. <laughs> and if that's not something that you can handle in your cast, it's something worth considering even if they can sing. Like, yeah. Oh. Big truck. It's funny, I have sat in um, auditions, audition rooms with you, you are very much like a detective. <laughs> um, whereas like, I definitely want to know from, you know, my stage manager or whoever's outside in the taking forms or whatever, if someone was rude or like, you know, uh, being a diva or something like that. I definitely like want that information. But once they get in the room, unless they're just like, um, truly awful personality-wise, yeah. it's not something that I'm paying a ton of attention to, but you're right, especially with littles, like, there's a huge chance that they have literally never done this before. So, how you decide um, what your, I don't know, like, rubric is yeah. in casting I think is interesting especially because the kid that comes out and is like super memorized and you know has all the right inflection um that can be really wooing I think mm -hmm. because you're like well I'll need someone to be kind of a linchpin but this the, kid will be easy right this kid I won't have to worry about right yeah. but at the same time it's like with kids, you just can't bank on anything. True. Um, you know, you just have no idea if that's like the only thing they can do. Mm -hmm. It's much harder to do like a callback with littles because it's like just like a really chaotic energy. I've only ever done that one time and I was like, yeah. oof, never again. <laughs> it was a mistake. It was a huge mistake <laughs> because there's just not as much um, balance when you're that young. Like, I think we've talked about this before, but like everything is the biggest deal. Mm -hmm. And I remember, like, I did a I did a callback. I want to say this was a full year ago. Um, and the way that the like theater organization was set up was that like. I had all of the kids all of the time. Like, I didn't have an assistant. I didn't have a stage manager. Like, it was just me. So I couldn't send, you know, eight kids out of the room while two of them did a call. Like, they all have to be in there. And, like, I would hand... It's so funny. Kids would decide who they wanted to play um, based off the name alone, which was hysterical Yikes. to me. 
That's very funny. So I had this little girl who was kind of all over the place. And she had decided that she wanted to play this character solely because it was the name of one of her dolls. But it was one of the smaller parts. I had been leaning towards putting her in something else, so I give her a callback for one of the bigger parts, and I'm like, you're going to read for this character, and she goes completely hysterical, and she's like, I want it to be Ruby, because I have a doll named Ruby, Oh. and I was like, boy. not prepared for that kind of a reaction, and then I'm doing a callback for the two leads, and they're the oldest two girls, which age plays a much bigger deal in casting young little kids than it does in any other scenario unless you're talking about 40 year old women in which case she can only be a witch um <laughs> sorry I just got really upset <laughs> but like um when you're looking at the, the difference between a 10 year old and a 6 year old and you're casting you know something with it's a 20 page script so maybe one of them has six lines but the other one has 30 30 lines and 20 pages is so much of the script yes <laughs> it's like you kind of have to lean on age a lot so i'm looking at these two older girls about to cast them in the leads and i hand them i'm like hey can you guys read for these two parts and they like high five and make a big show of like we're gonna be and it mm. took mm -hmm. every like bone in my body not to just not cast them based off of that one interaction which is such a 10 year old girl thing to do and like not that big of a deal but I hated it so much that I was literally like you'll know what I'll do <laughs> don't sue <laughs> don't act this way yeah. <laughs> but like, celebration dance later <laughs> not now do it in the park <laughs> um which is like they just don't have that kind of impulse control that you gain with age and being told that you can't act however you want all of the time. I love and hate about children. Like yes. I mean, that's why I find it more interesting to watch them when they're not on the stage because they are not good at lying yet. No, they like, are not. I mean, the adults come in and you have no idea what they're thinking, even if you think you do. Like they're capable of faking stuff and pretending that. Especially they're totally the happy. good ones. Right. <laughs> And so in that case, I have no idea if what the, how they're behaving off the stage or with the stage manager is total garbage. Like yeah. if they're, I don't know, but with the kid, they're much less likely to be faking any of their reactions, good or bad, yeah. um, or any of their interactions, because they don't know how to do that yet. Very much <laughs> like, this is what it is. Yeah. This is how I'm going to be exactly. pretty much the whole time. <laughs> is this an attitude you want? Because this is what I got. <laughs> Oh man, that's funny. I tell my students all the time, like, when you audition, it's in three parts. It's when you walk into the room, that snap judgment. It's the actual material, and then how you end, and like, that like final thought. Um, but there is so much I don't do as much sleuthing or like watching behaviors in the room, but how you walk up to your spot and introduce yourself to me is hugely important. 
as well as like how you end. I have so many people who do like a great monologue and then don't know how to be like gracious in the ending. Not even just like in a, oh, thank you so much for having me, like I'm being grateful kind of way, but just in a like, maybe gracious is not the best word, but smooth, I guess. Yeah. Like the confident walk away. Um, people betray themselves so much in those last 30 seconds of you see that flash on their face of like, do you like me? Was that okay? Mm-hmm. I know I flubbed Wait, on one part. The, that was great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and so I try to like really teach how to end because um, I think it's hugely important. But I, I do think like a question that I'm asking myself you know, and it's not the most important question, but one of the things is I'm gonna have to spend the next six weeks of my life with this person at a minimum. Am I okay with that? <laughs> yeah. Um, and if I'm not, did the work that they produced in this room make up for the fact that they're gonna bug me? And it probably shouldn't be as much like that but at the same time like just like everything if you go into a job interview and give off weird vibes you know people are gonna say like oh it's not a culture match yeah i think that there's some validity to that and that that can be a totally valid i mean you come away from an audition you think you killed it you might have you might have just been like the director might have seen something that they're like i don't know i was not you don't fit with the rest of the people I want to cast, or yeah. you're gonna you're gonna be uncomfortable, or they're gonna be uncomfortable, or that it it might not be related to your craft at all, <laughs> um, and to not be upset by a, a bad audition because it might not have been the audition. Yeah. Um, what's the worst thing? The, the most annoying thing that people say when they leave that that's kind of like a big deal. Oh is, gosh. Um, any kind of. I'll use the word apology mm-hmm. for anything that just happened in the room. Um, I don't, uh, you could also use the word excuse. I feel like that's a little bit harsh, uh, especially being a performer myself. I know a lot of times it you feel truly apologetic, like maybe you've wasted their time or something. Mm-hmm. Not that, sometimes you're like, I just want you to know that I have all of these things going on. But, but just leave the room with a sense that you're gonna be okay regardless of what happens that's really powerful and it also doing all of that apologetic work puts so much of a burden back on whoever's casting you to be in charge of your feelings and that's not fair emotional labor to make someone do um and usually unless you've done something really egregious there's nothing to apologize for you know i don't expect to see a hundred one hundred percent perfect auditions i'm never gonna go into a room thinking that and i've cast people who have had imperfect auditions so just like stop it that's my that's my biggest pet peeve um what about you 
having not been in a whole lot of casting rooms with people over the age of 12. <laughs> that you um, weren't auditioning that I, that, for. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I think I have more problems with the introduction sometimes than leaving. Like, oh, okay. when you're leaving, it doesn't bother me as much if you are, like, okay, I did it. <sighs> like, okay, I survived. And then you, you like forget. Because you're eight. <laughs> right, because you forget, you, you forget you're in the room. And yeah. I mean, I would apply that to, I've, I have been in a casting room for, like, community theater stuff for adults. And it's similar. A lot of these people haven't done a whole lot. Yeah. They only do things once a year, maybe, and they usually haven't gotten cast, and they're just very nervous. And so if you, like, get to the end of your monologue and you're like, I survived, and you, like, take your deep breath and you forget you're still in the room. Mm -hmm. Totally valid. Um, professional theater? Not so much, probably. Um, and I think I have more of a problem with the, like, I'm so sorry, I have a sore throat, so this is going to be terrible. Oh, like, that kind of the pre-apology. Right, the pre-apology. So same thing, but on, on the front end. Yep. Um, that bugs me more, because then I'm like, you're setting yourself up for failure by uh, by telling us already that it's going to be bad. Yeah. Like, you, you've set a precedent <laughs> or an expectation that it's not going to be good. And then, if it is good, I my brain goes one of two ways. One, are they a perennial excuse maker mm, who yep. is it doesn't matter how great their day has been they're always going to tell me no oh, I left my shoes I didn't come in, in in the right time because I left my shoes in the dressing room and I had a, whatever like I worry about you <laughs> as a person sure if you do a great audition after telling me it's going to be terrible right and then the other thing too is like okay maybe you're not a perennial excuse maker Maybe you just have zero self-confidence. Right. And that's going to be difficult to work with, too, because I'm going to have, I, I have to weigh out, and I, it's not like I have a math equation for this, but that's mostly because I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> but I do have to kind of do a little bit of equating, like, okay, how much of the time spent in the rehearsal room is going to be spent assuring you that you're doing fine? Yeah. And just for me as a person, I'm gonna get to the point where I'm done doing that. Yeah. And, um, you know, at what point do we have a an issue? Because I can no longer hold you like a tiny little Easter egg, mm -hmm. but you still need that for me. And another math equation, you want to only have a couple of those per cast. Yes. Like, I mean, yeah, okay, I can take one. Or I've got these two that might, I, I'm going to need to offer extra encouragement, and they're going to stay after every time and ask if they were okay. And <laughs> yeah. I can handle that many, but I can't handle five. That'd be mm -hmm. too much. Yeah. Um, so yet another balancing act. Enough confidence. So, like, two divas and two who have no <laughs> self-esteem, I can handle. Oh, and then man. everybody else is in the middle. <laughs> yeah. And then try not to completely forget about those because you're dealing with your, your ones that have, you have a little bit more of a need. Yeah, I think when, when someone is sucking energy out of a cast like that, it really does take away from folks in the middle. I recently, well, I'm saying recently, it was definitely not recently because everything is kind of a time warp. But one of the questions that people asked on for me to cover on my YouTube channel was, why am I not getting notes from my director? And that was one of the points. It was like, if you're consistent and you're doing well, sometimes your director's attention, they feel like they don't have to worry about you as much. And people on the extreme ends, super needy people, 
people who are not picking it up or not mm -hmm. taking the notes are diverting the attention, which sucks because I know as a director, there's certainly a point where you can over direct, but if you just let people who are in the middle coast because they're doing well and, and they pick up on things quickly, they don't get the benefit of your direction. Yep. Which it, then it's like, well, why were you even there for them? Um, so yeah, I agree. You you can't you can't overload your plate with too many folks who are gonna take from you and from the cast and not be able to put as much in. Um, not to get like too spiritual about it, but I I think that constant. Um, like self-deprecating need for reassurance is a little bit of pride as well. Yes. Like you have the divas on one end who you can e easily quantify that as pride, but on the other end you have these folks who can't see beyond themselves at all and also don't recognize how much attention and resources they're taking from you and the people around them by not being able to focus on anything other than themselves. Yeah. So it's really tough and I don't want to discourage anyone who feels like, you know, oh, I do look for reassurance from my director. In part, that's what we're here for. Yeah. Um, when I first started directing, someone gave me this book that I'm going to butcher the title of, but I know the author. I think it's called The Art of Directing by William Ball. I know that's the author. And I still have it, but one of the, I mean, the, big, the biggest chunk of the book is dealing with actors, because that is directing. Yep. Like, <laughs> all of your great ideas, all of your camera angles, all of your, you know, transitions mean nothing if you can't talk and work with actors. Yeah. I think there are some true, um, when is the word I want to use to get us not an explicit rating on iTunes? There are some true jerks who have made yes. it to the pinnacle of directing while still being jerks. But I think that is because of, you know, money, privilege, male privilege, white privilege, things that bring in the money that brings in really great talent. Yeah. Not so much that they're just so brilliant. Because um, you can have the most brilliant ideas, but if you can't communicate them in a way that makes people like inspired and want to work with you, you know, then you're just money. Right. Who cares? Um, but I, one of the biggest takeaways from that book for me, which is funny because I don't adhere to the philosophy, but I think about it all the time, right. is like, never tell the actor what to do, which is essentially like, when an actors who are needy and who are coming to you for self-assurance are going to ask you all of these questions, and my natural instinct is to be like, you're doing fine, do this, do that, don't do this, and like, cut it off. But he's basically saying, like, actors who are coming to you with all of these questions are not asking you the question they want to ask you. So they'll be like, 
what do you think about my hat in the second act when really they want to ask you, hey, I'm having trouble keeping it on my head when I'm doing the tab dance. Can we scratch it or get me something else? To me, like, ask me that question. I, I don't care. Like, yeah. if you can't keep the hat on your head, that's a problem we can solve. But asking me all these feeling questions are so annoying. So it's like, he's basically saying, like, well, what do you think? And, like, throwing it back to them to, like, force them to become a person who's willing to tell you and be more self-assured, not through you giving them the assurance, but in making them, like, say things. Yeah. Which is not a bad philosophy. I think that there's a lot of merit to it. I just am never going to be of the belief that you can't ever say, like, exit stage right because you have to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there's a myriad of reasons why they might have to exit stage right. You know, number one being safety, number 108 being because you want them to. Like, I, and maybe it's because I went to an acting school that was very much like teaching you how to be directed. Because um, it's a lot of acting schools, like teaching you techniques, but at the same time breaking you down. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's something in me that's like, you can't honor every single person's visions. At some point, the buck has to stop with someone's vision. And it's good to be broad in what you think can work for your show and listen to people, but it is bad to listen to the point where the door keeps opening and keeps opening and keeps opening because then you come see something and you're like, well, act one, scene one has a very different vibe and aesthetic than yeah. act three, scene two. I don't know. But if you were at all interested in directing, I do highly recommend the book. Um, I recommend lots of directing books that I don't 100% agree with, but I think that's true about my acting philosophy too I was much more of a cherry picker from techniques than I was a person who was like I'm all Meisner all method that's just I was like you gotta do what works for you for the show and there are some things that I love about different techniques and some things that I'm like that's too woo woo I hate it or I'm never gonna put in that amount of like I don't ever address me as my real name on set. Like, that's never going to be me. Yeah. So, yeah, I think well, you kind of have to Well, that works for different shows, and, and then there's some shows where it's like, I don't need to put in this much work. This is, I mean, and not in a lazy way, but, like, either I've done this show six times for some people, where it's like, I know these already. I think I can make this work. Mm -hmm. Or this is a very basic plot line. Like, there was only so much you could do with the show that we didn't get to perform that we will never get to perform. Yeah. Like, there's only so much there. Yeah. And to be gleaned and dug <laughs> into and all of that. Yeah. And, and I think um, that's just a little bit about, like, honoring the playwright, too. Mm -hmm. When you try to mine for information that does not exist in the script, I work um, with this great actor who um, I actually met in this building, but he says all the time, um, 
you can't play what doesn't exist. And like, you can know all of these things about the time period and the character and whatever, but unless it exists within the confines of what the playwright has written, how are you going to communicate that to the audience? You know, there are things that you can do, there are physical traits that you can inhabit, there's knowledge that you can have that goes into subtext, but eventually all you have is what is written. And if you are handed kind of a dud of a script, which happens a lot in youth educational theater, you, you are kind of have to do what these people set out for you to do. You don't have to, you can say no, but there's not a ton of opportunities and you're trying to like build a resume. Um, you know, you, you, you might catch a dud every once in a while for me. It was Emma. It sucked. Yeah. Um, so there's only so much you can do when the script is a little bit of a dud, or the script is supposed to be light and fun and breezy. That's a valid play, too. There are levels. Yep, <laughs> every time. So you putting in all of your very serious work is, like, not honoring what it is. Right. I need you to take several steps back. I played a very silly, one-dimensional mm -hmm. character in a very silly, relatively one-dimensional Christmas play one time, and there's just not a whole lot to dig out of that. Like, I mean, once I got the happy voice that the director was going for, which was valid, that was pretty much all I had as far as character, and that's fine. <laughs> there's really not a whole lot there. I mean, wasn't the play about a mouse? Uh, no, that's another one where there wasn't a whole lot there. But, uh, yeah, no, this one was about, uh, uh, more, more specifically about Santa. Ah. Uh, yes. Ah uh, ha yeah, not a whole lot there. I remember. Yes. Okay. More giggly, I believe, was the note that I got. <laughs> more giggly. I don't, I mean, and again, that was what the director wanted, okay? That's fine. There wasn't a whole lot that I could make happen, and really I was just being too quiet. But what's new? Yeah, I mean, Louder. you're very quiet. That's my most common Yes, I'm the most common note for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, rude and true. I mean, it's fine. Um, we knew going into this that I was the loud one. That's true. That's just what it is. Mm -hmm. All right, first show you directed. What was it? Do you remember? Or is it fuzzy because you AD'd a lot? Right, no, I think that... First show, I feel like I directed was Pride Prejudice. I think but, that counts. I think that counts. But, uh, yes, technically that was some some variation between AD and co-D, which we're not sure we believe in. So um, I don't. I don't. <laughs> Other folks can. You, you don't, and I'm not sure I do. That's so, your yeah. business. Um, right. I think that that counts as the first one that I feel like I had enough say in that I could call it directing. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. Yeah, I was like on the periphery. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, so you didn't really mean to be directing that show, exactly. It sort of happened to you. Yeah. Um, but you went so hard because that experience was wild. It, it was a lot, yes. But you went on to direct again, so you liked it on some level. Yes. Um, I think I was also too close in age to most of the cast. Because um, at that point I was 20 years old. Yes, I was, because I turned 21 that summer. Weird. 
Um, so yeah, 20, and the oldest member of the cast was at that point 18. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so it was, yeah. Just, it was too close. I mean, there were some, like, 12-year-olds in the cast, too, but um, I was like, I just finished high school, and I dropped out of college. You should listen to me. It's just you went of, back to college. I did go back to college. Um, you were back in college by that point. Like, Come on. I know. But it's still, it's just weird when you're that close to the people, and especially since I'd worked tech with some of these people already, and... Why should you listen to me? Some of them, that was more of a reason to listen to me because they trusted me. Yeah. Some of them, it was not. <laughs> For sure. Um, so, and yeah, that whole thing was just a lot of pieces that were forced to fit together that really didn't fit together. Um, I don't know. It was not overall, looking back on it, I learned a lot. It was not 100% bad. Yeah. For sure. Well, that's good. Yeah. Not 100% bad is... I feel like the best you can hope for for your first directing experience. Totally. Yours was not 100% bad. It was just really... <laughs> I don't even know. Um, that's funny because... Roller coaster? Roller coaster is a great word. Um, it's funny because technically that was like a co-directing experience as well. But no one remembers it that way because I feel like I... That's true. Oh, gosh. Just by merit of um, living in the place where we yeah. were doing the show, kind of was uh, holding the reins. Yep. Um, yeah. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about my co-director because uh, I really I directed that show. You um, did. Thank you. And I feel like the cast would agree, most of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was... It was also a roller coaster. I mean, I was literally directing people my age mm -hmm. and my brother. So yep. um, I don't think anyone was older than me. Well, no, that's a lie. Um, a couple of them were by like six months, but we were 20, essentially. Right. I mean, yeah, I was 19, a couple people were 20, um, and I think my, no, my brother or maybe one of the other people was the youngest at like, 15, 16. Mm -hmm. So, you know, definitely like, um, I'll use the word raucous time. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> I like that word. Um, we, it was very much fly by the seat of your pants. It was very much, here are my friends and we're going to do this thing together. Um, I think that it bred a very collaborative spirit in me, mostly because I needed to hear the ideas of other people, mm -hmm. um, having never really done this before but I was lucky in that I heard ideas from people who were not overbearing right um so you were around your mom was around that was super helpful my board liaison with the theater was um just a lovely prince of a man who was very much like eh, do what you want like <laughs> but maybe think about this right have you considered now mm -hmm. I'm gonna step away um and on a personal level, it was kind of a uh, really, yeah, a roller coaster of a time. Um, and then Tech Week, m one of my leads dropped out. You only um, had leads. You didn't have any secondary I've, characters. Well, the one. Oh, you did have one. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but it was very much a, a five-person ensemble yeah. cast. And one of them dropped out, which in a five-person ensemble cast at Tech Week is really devastating because you've spent so much time building the relationships between these five people, yeah. specifically. Um, 
so I had a friend really more of like a friendly acquaintance from high school step in um, she did a fantastic job all love to her um, and pulled it off and I realized that like nothing is the end of the world even when it's like I think this is the worst and I was highly emotional so bared in mind that it was dramatic times in my soul but like that feeling of like we can get through to the end of this and produce something that's good has stayed with me I mean my family makes fun of me because I'll always be like it's not gonna happen and they're like you say that every time <laughs> um so I've really only ever since then said that one time and really meant it because I know from experience of having like no experience and having crazy stuff happen that it will happen. Yep. So that's good, I think. It's funny, I feel like I spent so much time directing kids, but literally the next show I directed was Father of the Bride, yep. which was Groans. Yep. Yeah, because like, that was your second. Yeah, it was on your second contract. Technically, yeah. 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 I had spent a lot of time doing like little things. Right. But nothing that had culminated in like a full show, and uh, yeah, that was adults. So in my head, I build up this resume directing kids, but it's not really true. <laughs> um. And talk about being like too close in age. I mean, you and I are the exact same age. Again, my brother, who's only two years younger than me. Yep. Um, and then four or five fully adult people when I was 20, what year was that? 2016? 2015? 2016, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. So in 2016, I was 21 that summer so yeah that was insane I mean one of my favorite shows that I've directed to date though didn't love the script again not there's not a lot to mine out of that script no, not a lot. Um, it's the version of father of the bride you're familiar with uh, from you know the movie but like a lot dumber kind of <laughs> no offense well, I mean, it's one of those where, I've talked about this before, it's a one-room thing where you go in and you talk about the things that just happened outside the room. Yep. You either can have a conversation that can happen in the living room, or you talk about, like, oh, yeah, we just came back from, or, oh, yeah, we're going shopping, or whatever, things that you can't actually show in your one room. I don't know. But it did lead me to something that I have used as a feature in almost every show since that isn't a musical, because that's what musicals are, but kind of the, um underscore of music that leads to like a musical moment because um, we kind of did montage of like busyness at the house mm -hmm. um over flight of the bumblebee yeah um which is like super fun and well no it i don't think the actual show ended up being flight of the bumblebee i think that's what i was playing in rehearsal to get yeah. you guys to like the pace but the actual the actual song was something about champagne. But yeah, I had like costume changes in that, and like 
people bringing in all kinds of presents and like multiple passes through the stage is one of my favorite things. I, looking back, I'm like, I could have done it so much better now, like with knowledge and experience um, and a better set. But I was gonna say, yeah, different space, I think. Different space. But didn't have enough entrances. I didn't. I had three, I think, mm -hmm. and I would have loved to have like six. I should yeah. have had someone run and come from the back. That would have been cool. Huh, my, my little brother, please. Oh, yes. I would, that would have been a great, great moment. In his letterman jacket. Well, it really should have been Ivy. That's true. Oh running gosh. up and down the stairs. <laughs> Insane, with like a checklist. But I, yeah. I actually don't even remember if she had been introduced Probably as a character. Probably not. I don't care. Either. I don't either. Still funny. <laughs> Who is this tiny person <laughs> in a hat? Yeah. Um, but I think that show also for me was just like... For the most part, actors want to work with you. They want you to like what they're doing. They want to hear your ideas. And if they don't agree, which there was some of that, you know, there are helpful, productive ways to talk about it. it it's not going to be the end of the world if someone comes up to you and is like, I hate this coat, or like, I'm doing this here and it doesn't make any sense. Um, I was so uh, vulnerable and young and felt like couldn't show any weakness. Yeah. That the threat of conflict was everywhere. So high. Yeah. Um, and also just like going through a weird phase of my life where I was wearing black lipstick in the heat of summer. So, <laughs> you know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. For a 1950s feel-good rom-com, I was maybe not the appropriate director I mean, for the time. It talk. wasn't what you wanted to direct, so there's that. It was not. <laughs> Here's the thing, and what I have and learned. And you almost got to direct it. And then so close. Uh, not worth it. Here's the thing, <laughs> and this is just like advice for any young director. People are going to say to you, what do you want to direct? And you need to come prepared number one, with ideas, and then number two, you're gonna have to throw something that the theater is more comfortable with, mm -hmm. if maybe you have like a little bit of a different style than they do. But make sure it's something that you're comfortable with, not just something you're saying to get them to do the okay. And that's what Father of the Bride was for me. Like, I, it's not like I went into it and was like, I can't believe I'm directing this show, I'm so mad. But it was just like, something that I put on the list because I knew I knew it would be a good idea for the theater. Be acceptable. Yeah. They would be super into it. Um, so I kind of had to hype myself to being super into it too because you don't want to be the director who hates the thing they're working on. That's not going to get you anywhere. Um, yeah, I'm very happy with the product. I still feel like it's a top tier show that I've directed. Um, definitely my family really loved it, because uh, my brother was in it. <laughs> that helps. It helps a lot. Um, and like, you know, it was a great time. Like, you were there, Adam was there, your mom was there. Like, it felt very, your brother was there. It felt mm -hmm. very, like, family. And at the time, we didn't know, but like, your brother's wife, too. I know, weird. Very weird. So weird. I know. <laughs> Ivy, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> so... I kind of said I would hate myself as a director, I think, some parts of me, but 
um, what types of director or like what things from a director are helpful to you do you like? Um, bring snacks. You bring <laughs> snacks, that helps a lot. It really does. Yeah. Food covers a multitude of sins. Absolutely. And that's a life thing and a theater it's thing. It's just true. Um, I think it's, uh, I appreciate a, a mix between having a clear vision and being open to ideas because like I'd I'd much rather help someone fulfill their vision than push my own just as a person mm -hmm. um, that's why I prefer stage managing anyway because it's about making their vision happen not pushing my own unless their vision is stupid and then encouraging them to <laughs> maybe look at it from a different perspective like the backstage perspective um, but yeah just them having some kind of a picture not going in and going I don't know what do you think about everything like balance between those two like being being open to um, something that they hadn't thought of but if your idea is not within the pot like the realm of what you were thinking just shut it down like it's honestly instead of letting it drag out because I think that sometimes it's felt like, oh, okay, you can try that, but they didn't like it, and they knew they didn't like it, mm -hmm. and so why let that exist? And if it isn't working out for the actor who's trying it, that's not just affecting you and the actor, it's affecting your other mm -hmm. actors on stage yeah. who are probably getting really sick of having to entertain this thing that everyone knows isn't working because right. you aren't shutting it down. Yeah. 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 That's super valid. And just what we talked about, acknowledging the whole cast. I, that it can be very easy to zero in on your two leads or your problem people or the people who are never on time mm. or whatever and making sure you don't let them control the set and let them control the space. Um, yeah, just I think because some directors want to be kind of pally or be like, I, I don't want you to be my friend, I want you to be my leader, um, more so than that. Uh, and I, I know some people would rather have the friend because then they can kind of do what they want, but that doesn't help everybody. Um, and it doesn't create a sense of confidence in you and your skills. I would agree with that. And I think you said something really interesting there, which is like being in control of the environment. And I do think that there are some directors who, um, and I feel like I've been this person at certain points in my career, are not the dominant personality. And you kind of think of directors of like having all of those natural like leadership things that make them the dominant personality. But that's just not true in so many cases. Mm -hmm. I've been in the room with an actor who's had the more dominant personality than the director, and I've been the director who an actor just like naturally, because think about who actors are as people. Yeah. Yeah. Their brand is themselves. So like for a lot of actors, they have a big personality. And I think where some directors mess up is letting that personality control the tone of the set and the rehearsal space. Yeah. Um, 
So even if you are like naturally more reserved or a more thoughtful, like less big, loud person, um, making sure that there's an awareness that like you control the tone. And sometimes you have to do that by like speaking to someone. And sometimes you just do that by making sure that everyone's kind of staying on task. Yeah. There are direct and indirect ways of controlling tone and you can certainly do either but um, it's so much easier for your entire cast and crew if they know who they're looking to not just for like questions to be answered but they can point to you as saying like oh we're not going to do x y or z because that's not the vibe that this director has set up for us um I want to switch focus a little bit, if you don't care. Okay. Direct your relationships with crew. Um, I have stage managed for more shows than I've directed. I think you can probably say the same. Yep. I, if I count my, I, and I should, I want to get in the habit of doing it. If I count my littles yeah, as that, full shows, yeah. then that statement is false. I've directed more than I have stage managed. Um, so, take it with a grain of salt sure but um it's just not my style of directing I I do it as more of an educational practice so sometimes I don't think of it in the way that I should have you had as a crew member as a stage manager what is your maybe like something that you've taken away as you've moved into directing from being kind of in those other roles or or maybe like the way you like to collaborate with a director as a member of the creative team versus an actor I guess is kind of where I'm going with this line of question As a stage manager, I I have appreciated feeling involved in decisions specifically because, not, not because I want to have, like, look at it and go, oh, I did that, but because there is stuff that the stage manager role naturally draws people with a certain personality sometimes, Mm -hmm. or a certain viewpoint, Um, and if you don't, like if you don't check with your costumer and go, hey, do we even have this fabric, (laughs) can we even acquire this fabric, you don't know if that's possible, but Mm -hmm. if you, so if you just make all these decisions without consulting the team, you will either wind up disappointed or frustrated when it's not possible, or you will work everyone to death and then it won't look the way you want it still. Yeah. Um, yeah, just engaging the members of your crew and letting them use their skills so that as the director you don't get burnt out or disappointed or um, overwork the people that are making your dream the reality. I think in that vein, my favorite directors to work for are folks who have spent time doing 
other creative or crew elements of theater. I mean, my favorite director in the city to work for was like a technical director, a lighting designer. Um, I mean, frequently I, we have great lighting designers for all of the shows that I work on with him. Um, some of the best people and he, I frequently still find him like on a ladder, just like doing like a slight, because he just has like a great appreciation for kind of all of the elements because he knows what it takes yeah. to do that. So, uh, I think only for our first two episodes, maybe, did we do the <laughs> good, bad, and ugly um, mm -hmm. concept, but um, we're bringing we it back. Can, we can come back to that and talk about our, our best and worst experiences directing. Um, let's start with bad, that way we can end on a, on a good note. On a high note. Yeah. End on a high note. You want me to go first? first. All right, let's, let's hear it. Um, I honestly don't know what your answer is going to be. I'm excited. My bad was just my first one because it was just learning a lot and I'm not good at learning. <laughs> I would say really that was my, my issue was I had no idea what I was doing. I've it's not entirely true. I've watched a lot of people do it. Um, so I was like, oh, I could probably make this happen. Mm -hmm. And it was framed more as a class. I really didn't get a whole lot of choice in who I got because um, I just got the cast-offs, which wound up being a great time and we had a lot of fun and whatever, but it was really just very stressful because mm -hmm. it was the first time this had been done at this particular location and it was a lot of information and it was a lot of personalities and <laughs> I... I loved my assistant, but she stopped doing that job soon after because she is a much better actor. Like, she's just, I, I had technically a stage manager, but it's not an easy job, especially when you're stage managing 20, mostly eight-year-olds. Yeah. Like, basically that just means make sure they don't need to go to the bathroom and that if somebody can't read, you help them. And write down everything I say because I'm losing my mind. Um, so it was, just, it was a hard job and I had helped write the script. It was almost too complicated for that age group. Just a lot of pieces, I think. Um, and I didn't, I don't think at that point I knew how to encourage what I needed out of kids. Mm. Um, it was a skill that I was acquiring but didn't I didn't really get yet because I was so nervous myself, I didn't know how to tell them that they were okay. Um, so, yeah. Have you ever tried your doing bad? <laughs> I am doing bad. Oh, doing bad. Oh, <laughs> amazing. No, I don't think I did try that. I think if I'd ever had a total Just said diva, it. I would have done that. Um, you're doing bad. Um, hold them on the side of their face yeah. like they're doing like toddlers and tiaras. Right, exactly. You're doing a bad job. Um, oh, no. No. No, because I think that most of them were already pretty sure they were doing a bad job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were so 100%. stressed. Um, some of them. And I don't know. I think it wasn't all bad. There was the, the magic of, I did that. That's pretty cool. Um, and any time you could hear them, it was magical. So, um, whatever. Glory be. Yes, it was. <laughs> 
I loved to watch those. Um, first of all, I am obsessed with, and theater snobs just come for me now, I don't care, a 90-minute show. Mm-hmm. I love, like, a, a you're in, you're out, yeah. don't even give me an intermission, like, I'll sit through 90 minutes. Right. Um, I've seen a lot recently, and I've really enjoyed the experience, so watching you you guys would go like it was like 30. two 30 minute shows yeah. Yeah. I was just obsessed with that time frame where it was like I got here at seven and I'm leaving before nine <laughs> what yep um just very excited about that feeling and then also just like on a real serious note um there's just this like with a few notable exceptions unbridled joy that kids of that age have with like I did it yeah um and there you certainly still have a couple who are like I'm doing it right yeah (laughs) but for the most part you could always get them to that like I did it point and it's always fun to watch people who are genuinely having a good time absolutely all right you're you're bad (laughs) <laughs> how to choose how to choose yeah. um I think that my bad and the show itself didn't turn out terrible or anything um but it was literally down to the wire and my cast had not memorized their lines you were there um you're not a member of that cast Shannon always memorizes her lines <laughs> Um, I, I was so young, they were so young, I had never run into an issue of this, like, the show may not go on caliber, even when I had to recast someone, I had options, um, you cannot recast your entire cast, tech week, really, and the show was just a little bit of a tough nut to crack anyway, I guess. Yeah, that's one of those where you can dig and dig and still not know what you're digging into. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's shows that are, have no depth and then there's stuff like that where you just keep going. And because it was a collection of monologues, I mean, it's not enough to know your character. You have to know 17 yeah. or however many you're playing. And um, I really, oh, I felt bad for my one actor who was on it completely I felt a sense of loss for the concept that I had created and and feeling like it wasn't gonna come to fruition um and I also felt like this is something out of my control Mm. I mean I can push and I can say things and I can try to be inspiring or scary or um threatened to recast people and all of those things I can do but ultimately for the show to go on with the cast that I initially chose they have to do something that is 100% out of my control and I think that was scary for me um that I just might not that the realization that there might come a time where all of my pivots won't fix it right Yeah, so I was really nervous, um, and I 
I had to, you know, put my, like, serious face and voice on um, in a way that I had never really had to before, which I didn't love because it's just, like, not who I wanted to be, but, yeah. you know, you can't be exactly what you want all the time especially when it's not working clearly what I had done up to that point wasn't working so that part is a little bit on me I think um that I had maybe let too much slide so yeah I think that was the worst experience um the show itself was not bad I don't think I ever directed anything that was like terrible I wouldn't have known the parts that were seriously problematic if I hadn't been at rehearsals. Oof. What a time. I mean, and then, like, one time I had the flu during tech week, so that sucked too, but for, like, way less uh, scary reasons. Just more like I couldn't be there. But again, out of your control. who doesn't get sick during tech week. Like, how do you do that? How much Mm. orange juice are you drinking? Because I'm clearly not drinking enough. You just gotta put emergency in it. Oh my gosh. Alright. Good stuff. The second show I directed, I think, would would be my top one just because um, in the first one I was doing all the learning and in the second one I got, I still had a lot of freedom, which I feel like kind of diminished a little bit <laughs> during the next few that I did um, because they still didn't know what to do with me during the first two. It was kind of funny. Um, I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do with you, so just do whatever you want. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was kind of nice. And... So I got to do a lot of experimenting with that, and um, because we wrote the script ourselves, we got to change it to suit whoever we got, which was fun. Um, so I was like, okay, well, that word doesn't work coming out of your face, let's just change <laughs> the script. Um, or, that's too many lines, that's okay, we still want you to play this part. Um, so. I don't know. I think we just got to be so... I got to do things that I didn't see a lot of people doing with Kiss Theater, which is just kind of let them be silly. Mm. Like, I I think that sometimes what I saw in Kiss Theater was so darn serious. Like, you must be serious about this part, and you must be totally focused at all times, and while, no, you don't want to let your rehearsals go to crap, um letting them be silly on stage was just so fun. Like, I mean, we had a, a, a dummy doll that we used for part of it because we really just wanted them to throw a character around, and it was so funny, and it got more ridiculous every night. Oh, yeah. Point, to the point where I almost had to rein it in, but I didn't because, thankfully, it was over. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think that, honestly, that grew some of the kids more because they had to keep a straight face. Instead of being, like, all worried about, oh, am I going to do it right? They were just having fun. Mm. Um, and legitimately sometimes just just playing up there. I mean, it's a play. Let the kids play a little bit. Um, I think it hints... Yeah, I think it hints at a very similar thing that happens with adult actors when you can see that they're, like, mining a role for every single thing that it's worth. When kids are really being silly with roles, you can see them kind of trying things that they would otherwise be too scared to. It's like the baby version of a really well-seasoned actor being like, I know how to make every single second of my stage time worth your money. Yeah, yeah. Even if I'm not the focus of the room or whatever, like, that, that background is not background, like... 
it matters just as much that you're in character when you're not in focus. Mm -hmm. um, all right, your best. Best. Um, or most fun. I don't think that was the best show I directed, but it was the most fun. Almost fun? Yeah, either one. Hmm. I think my best overall experience. Huh. <laughs> okay, I think it, I think it's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Um, I, it's a real close second. Uh, Honey Harvest, I think, just because I really enjoyed that process and the playwright so much, um, and my lead actor, who was, was a really friend. Because you did get to talk to the playwright. And all that such stuff, a cool like experience, yeah. and I loved that set. Mm -hmm. Um, just so simple, but. For me, uh, doing Romeo and Juliet in the style that I had always kind of wanted it to be in, um, with a real kind of like, no, nah. <laughs> who cares about the gender norms of the show, yeah. and also um, where Romeo and Juliet were the right ages. Yeah. There's just like something genuinely cathartic about that for me. Um, especially haven't been in a really stuffy version of Romeo and Juliet. Um, there was something for me that was like, I want this to be so fun in the beginning that you're truly devastated when blood starts to hit the floor. Um, I just had a really great time and was in an environment that I'm really comfortable uh, producing a show in. And then also, really had the freedom to kind of do whatever I wanted and people who helped in costuming and um building my set who were very much like yes I can do that idea um and I'm gonna give you options to kind of pick from it was just a I had a good time and yeah. I loved the music I picked for it is really happy with that. Well, and the fact that you got to work in the, the singing. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. That is what made my casting choice. I had three different casts up on the board, and there was one where I could have that um, cabaret feature mm -hmm. and make it really funny and good and, and sound amazing. Um, and the other ones, it was going to be something else. They were going to do something else at the party that was still going to be fun and exciting. Yeah. But I really wanted that cabaret feature, and my entire yeah. cast changed around yep. it. So that's, but yeah, that's, that's directing. That's directing, and that's an insane thing to think about as an actor. If you're listening to this, there's there are versions of shows where your name is up on the board. Mm -hmm for the part that you really wanted that got changed because of something that had that nothing, nothing to do to with you. you. Yeah. So, you know, it'd be like that sometimes. Yeah. I'm really happy with my choice, though. Uh, I think it was well cast, if I do say so myself. Very for any aspiring directors who might be listening to this, um, what what kind of takeaway do you think that you would give them? Or if you could talk to your younger self who maybe felt like you were still learning and weren't sure how to 
direct because you weren't sure what you were doing in your own self. Hmm. Um, every single decision is not the biggest thing in the world. Um, choose your battles and if you if you really want to do this you won't be going into it foolishly probably um, so just trust those your linchpin moment or whatever your your pieces that you really want to see and don't go overboard worrying about the details um, mm -hmm. so just really pick your your pieces carefully this is this I'm really really set on and the other pieces will be more likely to fall into place if you're not micromanaging them um, at least on your first view like eventually yeah. you get to the point where you can handle more and more detail and all of that but the first few times prioritize prioritize every every single decision is not gonna completely ruin your show and every single bad rehearsal is not going to completely ruin your show that's a really good point because i definitely have like sat in the car after a bad rehearsal and thought like this is my fault mm. or i'm bad yeah um they deserve better <laughs> yeah yeah, I think bad rehearsals are par for the course. Uh, and the better that you can kind of present a brave face, is, is you're going to be fine. That's good. Prioritize. So much had told me that. <laughs> um, Same. I think I would want in the nicest way to just, I guess, tell my younger self to chill out and trust my gut. Um, I have this terrible habit of, on the one hand, absolutely knowing what I want to do and um, thinking that I'll do it better than other people while on the other hand, uh, being a people-pleasing middle child with a need for approval. Mm -hmm. Those two things don't mix well because inevitably you'll run across the person who's giving you the opposite viewpoint to your own. And then I will think, I don't care about the 12 other people I've talked to who have said that my idea is a good idea, this person doesn't think it is, and so I will change everything based off of their opinion. Um, or I'll just spend three days agonizing when I absolutely didn't need to. Um, so I think it's a lesson that I'm still learning that I want to trust myself more. Um, I think I have good ideas, and I don't need as much input as I feel like I do. Um, I think being open for discussion is great, but I think knowing your limits and um, being open for discussion with folks who are gonna wait to ask, let you ask for their opinion rather than just tell you things. Yeah. Um, 
So it's actually a habit I've been trying to like train myself out of when my first instinct, when something goes wrong and I think of a plan is to call someone and like verify the plan. My new habit is to, um, because I would spend a day calling people and telling them like a whole background that they didn't need and like, what should I do about this? My new thing is like, take a day and see if tomorrow you still like the original plan. And then if I need help, I can ask for it, but I'm gonna come at it from a much more level head than like that first moment. So yeah, I think, I don't know what the like keyword from that is, but I guess it's- Boundaries on people's opinions. I mean, that yeah. you, don't, that you don't need to listen to everybody and yeah, set up boundaries with yourself like you're doing. Yeah, to trust my own instinct. Mm. And also that like, it's okay to know what you want. I feel like sometimes I wanna point to, this is my plan and I've had 12 confirmations of the plan as like a way to validate myself. Right. Where it's like, I don't have to do that. So yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's advice to myself right now um, or advice to my younger self slash someone who wants to direct, but learn from my uh, idiosyncrasies, I guess. <laughs> my neuroses. I think the mowing is getting closer. I was going to say, the weed whacking, uh, I probably are cue to end it. Okay. Um, and maybe talk about playwriting next week? I feel like yeah, we've danced good. all around it. That. That'd be fun. I agree. Okay. All right. Unless someone sends us something else we should talk about. I know. What do we want from this week? Um, Maybe your director horror story, the director yeah. who said something to you that you were like, well, I will be quitting now. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear that, um, mostly so I can hype you, especially if I know you. <laughs> right. I'm sure you're great. Everyone has one. Uh, mine was even a director I liked who said something to me, and I was like, this has ended my career. <laughs> it's over. So I'm dramatic. Not doing theater anymore. So dramatic. Uh, if you want to send us those stories, you can email us at uncertaintheater at gmail.com. That's U-N-C-E-R-T-A-N-T-H-E-A-T-R-E at gmail.com. Um, or again, you can call and text us. We will not be answering the phone if you call. I just want to reiterate that again. We don't want to talk to you, but we will listen to your voicemail. You can call or text us at 502-627-0296. And we'll tell your stories. Yeah. See you next week. Direct well. Bye. Bye. Well, first of all, the script was fantastic. You were supposed to start with bad, dude. Oh, gosh. (laughs) That was your rule. That was my rule. (laughs) But then I started smelling food. Uh, I do smell food. I I think there's like a food truck over there. So I was thinking good thing. You do good, I'll do bad. You do bad, I'll do good. Then we'll end on a good. That's too complicated. No, I got it in my head. (laughs) Oh no, let's start over. We'll cut this part. Let's start over, I might as well pick a different show. Um, For bad. Okay. Wait, what am I doing? 
You're doing bad. Okay, okay. But, but you're doing a good job. Shut up. <laughs> I just realized how mean it sounded when I said you're doing bad. You're doing bad, okay? <laughs> what am I doing? You're doing bad. You directing sometimes. <laughs> Literally. The dog was raised in prison. I do. I truly think the musical The Wizard of Oz was a worse experience for that dog than prison. Which, like, for me too, I understand. I've never been to prison, but I feel like I would spend three months in prison and three months doing that version of Wizard of Oz again. Dang. Don't come for me, all of the people who have been to jail that listen to this podcast. <laughs> or the people who love Wizard of Oz. Sorry, guys.